0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of FinTech Walkabout, where we're exploring the world of FinTech, specifically with a focus on open banking at the moment. Uh, we're joined by Roland from Nordigen. It'd be great to get a, a quick introduction from you just to, to kick us off.
1: Yeah, lovely. So I'm Roland. I'm the CEO and co founder of Nordigan. We started in 2016 and we're building Europe's first premium open banking platform. We're connected to over 2,000 banks in Europe. We provide completely free connectivity to open banking data for fintechs or anyone who wants to build an open banking powered application. And yeah, I'm very excited to be on the show.
0: Great. Yeah, we'll, we'll dig into kind of your business model a little bit throughout the recording, but just starting quite high level, we've seen this big transition from kind of traditional methods of data collection, whether that's screen scraping and kind a of manual input, user-led like data sharing and permissions to open banking can you talk us through just how it all started for you and and how that kind of transition has shaped the business in in terms of both starting it and as you've grown it
1: yeah absolutely so when Nordigan started it was started by me and my co-founder robert and and we kind of were two young ambitious lads that wanted to build a better alternative to credit bureaus which was quite an um, ambitious uh idea um, when we were looking, yeah, <laughs> and, and when we were looking into, you know, how can you build a better alternative to credit bureaus, we stumbled upon the fact that people were sharing banking data with their uh, lenders, and used to be in the form of kind of like printing out your bank statements and and sort of you know taking that pile of documents and submitting it to a mortgage lender or like a car lender. And back when we started, there was a lot of screen scraping on the market. Mm. And uh, when we first heard about about screen scraping, I think like everyone's first reaction is like. How how can yeah. how can this how can this be real? What <laughs> you're told is you're not supposed to share your bank credentials with anyone. And and here's a you know technology that is doing that at scale but you know one thing led to the other and so we started looking into this this concept of, of uh, well how does the banking connectivity work and what kind of data can you pull through in and um, not again started as this idea that you should you know when you get access to banking data as a lender the biggest trouble that you have is to try and make sense of the data and uh, what we built was the the first tools that uh, turned raw transaction data into something that you can use to understand someone's creditworthiness and uh, yeah, and, and so we just kind of like started with that and scaled it across Europe as a service uh, before kind of becoming a own open banking platform after PSD2 came live. So that's how it, kind of how we started. Okay, It's
0: very much a service focused business around the data, data layer, because right now you are this, this freemium player, right? You come and access data points and we'll help you with, with insights on top of that. What's been your kind of biggest challenge in setting that up? Do you think kind of obviously starting quite high level? We'll get we'll get more granular as we go.
1: Yeah, the I think the biggest challenge was persuading everyone in first of all in our team and then in our ecosystem that this has to be done. It's contrarian to say the least. And that's because, well, if you think about open banking, like open banking as a concept is like as a term, it's very new, but as like as a concept, it's been around since late nineties, when, when the, first of all, German regulators were trying to invent new APIs that allowed sharing of banking information across different banks. Then Yodley was founded in 1998 and, and they, they took the first generation of, of, of like these, these account aggregation companies uh, to the mainstream. and And then there was a wave of of screen scraping uh, across US. All, all of this started by basically building connectivity in, 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 in places where it didn't exist and selling access to that connectivity. And then what we had to convince um, everyone about was that with PSD2, like that completely changed the uh, way that the um, market should operate. Uh, PSD2 and then an open banking initiative in UK, what they, they ask is that banks create these APIs and they give them away for free to anyone that has a license to connect to them. And then like building connectivity and selling, it kind of no longer makes sense. Like you can you can still aggregate bank APIs and, and sell access points to, to those APIs, but then that has significantly less value. And so when we started building our own open banking platform, uh, the, there was like lots of people that we needed to convince that this is a great idea. And, and still to this day, you know, many people when they hear that we're offering free connectivity, they ask us, why? <laughs> because, well, every, like literally everyone else is selling that same thing. And, and why would you be, you know, doing all this work and connecting to banks and, and giving it all for free? Kind of what's the catch? And so, you know, that's kind of, it takes takes time for people to recognize that this that we're like actually undergoing a pretty big shift and that shift is that we're well, not need to build the connectivity it's there it's available and it's built by banks and banks take all the costs and we should just leverage the fact that it exists and and uh, and if we don't then the banks are not going to do it anymore and so there's like lots of pressure you know actually on the com- ecosystem and the community to actually go and, and leverage and, and and do what the what the regulators thought we will mm. do which, which is to to build you know, more competition for the incumbents on the market.
0: I think that's I was speaking to a couple of individuals across the kind of CMA and FCA over the last couple of episodes. And it's been interesting. Well, it's it's that theme of, of how do we drive competition, but there are still these like pretty core underlying challenges. Banks are taking the brunt of these costs and the kind of infrastructure la- layers that need to be built out, but we're still getting you know, not to put anyone kind of on the spot. We're still getting data that's not quite where we need it to be to kind of take those insights and, and turn them into like actions, which is obviously what someone like Haptap is trying to do without being kind of self-serving in this statement. But it'd be interesting, you know, you've talked about the early stages and how you were looking at credit worthiness and, and lending. We've obviously still got a kind of handful maybe of, of major credit bureaus who are owning that market. How did you position yourself? How did you map out the challenges that, were gonna, that you were going to face as a business in terms of you know, eating into that and establishing yourself to then set yourself up to say, well, we're not gonna charge for access. We're only gonna talk about insights. What was your kind of process behind that?
1: Yeah, so when we started, what we had built was a set of algorithms that made sense of banking data and like you explained banking data is very noisy. So there's like 6000 plus banks in, in Europe, every one of them spits out a different bank format they uh, even inside of the Berlin group, which is like this this ecosystem, like the, even they shoot out different banking formats and, and let alone for banks that aren't part of it and, and even you know and, and then you kind of if it a date, ba- date back before psd2 screen scraping was kind of completely you know different like that was a different challenge and and, and not only the bank data was different the banks were different but also Um, Screen scraping as a technology is incredibly flawed. And if if bank changes something on their interface, then like connection breaks. And you actually don't know if the connection is is, is broken or or there's something else happening with the uh, aggregator. So there were lots of challenges in the early days. And um, arguably those challenges are are still there. They just look different. The the, the trouble with that is that while you have this plumbing but then, and you're able to connect to banks, but there's like this, this, what you get is wastewater and and you need to build these filters in order to turn that wastewater into something that you can use for your everyday life for drinking, for, yeah. for cooking, for act, wa- washing stuff without poisoning someone. So sure. that's then, and, and that is just something that needs to exist. And this is also the reason why we decided for us, it was kind of like, I would say, Inside of the and management team, it was, it was very much a no-brainer that a connectivity is a commodity. Always been a commodity. It was just very an, an expensive commodity in, in the early days because screen scraping was expensive. Then later, reverse engineering was expensive. You had this, this this talent that kind of like learned how to do it more efficiently over time. But until PSD two came by and, and open banking APIs were live, it was very expensive. And then it suddenly became very inexpensive. And so mm-hmm. like once once that changed for us, it was like a no brainer. Like that's something that needs to happen. And also we recognize that's the you know there's a the expectation of anyone building a fintech app on top of on top of open banking APIs. that you plug into an API and you build this application on top? That's the expectation. And there's two steps really super simple. The reality is like if you plug into yeah. an API. You plug into an API, what you get is this wastewater, then you have to build like this this cleansing, you know, mechanism in order to just do anything with the data, to do something mm-hmm. with the data. And then like you spend a lot of time building that thing out until you can get to, to the fact, you know, to building that application on top. So once we realize that that is the big problem, we realize that our core sort of competence really isn't in, is in building these cleansing mechanisms, these filters that go from wastewater to drinking water. <laughs> it's like really bad analogy. I'm sorry about that. But, and and so like, once we realized that that's the core competence and the connectivity bit is, you know, becoming increasingly less expensive. It was, you know, the management decision was really easy. We said like, just let's do it. And then it was all about just convincing everyone else to buy into this idea. So that's kind of how we ended up here.
0: Still get a lot of, well, I wouldn't say a lot of stick, but there's still kind of grumblings right out there on the market about, you know, we look at maybe some other TPPs we won't name as still charging for this kind of connectivity piece. How have you, how has that played into your marketing strategy, right? Into your, I guess this is a pretty, you know, big thing for you to wave a flag over.
1: Yeah, we're actually up against some very large companies. And what we're saying is that, like this thing is a total commodity and why should you pay for something that is, identically available for free with a completely different business model underneath so for us it has been an, an exciting journey like we're like we're literally reading these textbooks about you know how do you do challenger sales how do you do you now stand out in a market that's like extremely crowded how do you uh, position yourself when you know you have the better products but then or the better pricing strategy but then everyone else has more marketing euros to spend to protect their position so that's been like a very interesting challenge from from that point of view what what we kind of realized that are you know it's it's there's no point of trying to convince people that are, are don't buy into that idea just yet and, and there'll always be people who there'll be people who kind of like you know are mm-hmm. kind of the late adopters of, of these technologies what we've found is a way to work with people that are Excited about this and, and actually understand it. You know, when we tell them like this, we offered this for free, and the immediate reaction is like, "Well, of course you should, because this thing is free, right?" And and then that you know but finding very, those like, people has been-
0: That's very similar to the kind of consumer concept of like banking is free, right? Especially in the UK. Maybe not so much in the states, but in the UK, I think most consumers will think like, "Why why am I paying for a current account if that ever came to be?" But then the, the banks are kind of like inhaling that. they're they're ingesting those costs they're kind of overheading them so you know i think commercialization can be a bit of a contentious topic when it comes to individuals data but you've obviously focused on that layer and said that's free why not go for kind of the well, I guess you are looking at like the premium APIs, right? What what other kind of solutions did you weigh up? You've obviously mapped out. Here's this big challenge. We think this layer of it should be commoditized, so that we can then add kind of value added services on services on that. Was there any kind of not backlash, but was there a discussion on another that the other side of the table saying, no, I think we should be monetizing this, or is it very much a kind of founders of Agreed and we're going for it because obviously we're still seeing players go monetizing on on, connect, on connectivity as, as we've discussed. Yeah, I guess it's more of like a, a why the value added layer and, and why is it that you can do it and no one else can, I suppose. It's a very investory question. <laughs> like, yeah.
1: <laughs> no, it's totally forgiven. There's two ways how you can look at it. There's this a way you can look at it, and, and like this is how all of the other Open banking platforms have always looked at it is that well you need to build connectivity in places where it it doesn't work or is, doesn't exist and and that is a true service you've you've spent your developer out, development hours doing that you've taken sufficient risk and you sure. need sufficient return for that and that has been around for like the last. 30 years, I, I think, ever since someone scraped someone's website and, and turned that into a service, then that's the business model that's always been there. Where we came into this whole space was com- from a completely different angle. We actually came into the space from an angle of, of the app user. The app user or the app builder, actually, the app builder is, is someone who doesn't really care about infrastructure. All they want is to build their application. For them, it really doesn't matter like who's doing the the plumbing bits and what the plumbing is. What they want is the application to exist so that they can focus on the value they create for for the end users. and if you look at it from that perspective, well, what they have, the world in which they have been living in is a world in which connectivity was an absolute luxury. Like actually, like no one can afford it. So like in the early days, beginning of 2000, it was so expensive, only like large financial institutions could afford to have it. And then, you know, gradually... Over time, fintechs were able to get access to it. But then in like Europe has probably been something like seven years behind U.S. And, and then like in U.S., fintechs could afford to use connectivity. And, and uh, in Europe, you barely had like the fast screen scraping solutions picking up and, and doing something with it. And, and so, and but like, again, like, you know, at first it was really, really expensive. And then there was like this inflection point where fintechs could start afford it. And, and what we saw was that there was like this, literally, if you kind of, you know, take a line from like the, like, last, you know, five years ago today to uh, where, you know, five years from now, what, what the, price for connectivity is gonna be, then that converges to zero very rapidly. And and mm. arguably when, when PSD2 kicked in, like the, the it was kind of very close to that point already. So from a strategic point of view, when you're building something, you know, if you know that thing, then you have to be ready to build something that is not just survives in that environment, but also thrives in that environment. And then we looked at all the other options you know that were there, that you can build connectivity and you can sell it, or you can build connectivity and you can sell it for for the cheapest price possible. But none of those options were guaranteed that you could build a sustainable business model that is gonna sustain the next 10, 20 years in an environment where connectivity is free. And mm-hmm. so um, I'm assuming that PSD2 remains in, in force and like actually the regulated open banking is continues to be free in, in, in Europe, then, then the only sustainable um, way for a platform like us to exist is to actually just embrace the fact that this thing is and has to be and will have to be free. So we've already done the work of building the thing and we realized, well, it's actually, you know, it's doable. So like that was kind of like a no-brainer for us.
0: Mm. That totally makes sense, but you know, it puts yourself, it's kind of a don't build for today, build for tomorrow attitude. And and you mentioned with PSC2, open banking almost helping us leapfrog over the technology that's screen scraping and, and is prominent in the US, that also leaves you in a position where, like, what if banks start charging for their APIs? What if they start to implement premium APIs? Is that, how is that going to implement or impact your approach? Is that something you'll just kind of pass on or are there other layers that are missing here?
1: Yeah, so when you think about like why would that, happen. Well it's because they it know they're gonna by... drive
0: value, right? They know yeah. they're gonna drive value.
1: So yeah, someone like us. Um, so
0: if a bank's selling data to someone like ApTat, we know that we can make 30 pounds on an energy switch, for example. If we're not in partnership with them and, and cutting them into that, then they could very much turn around and say, well you're using you're using our data to do X, Y, and Z, make money, therefore we want a piece of that. So you know, yeah. sorry, revert back to the original question.
1: Yeah, no, so like banks are in a weird position right now because they've been just forced to be here and and they've been told that like they're, you know, forced invited to the dinner and they have to pay for it and great dinner. Like they're not having any fun. And then, and so for them, like, well, they're, of course, they're not excited to build these APIs. They're not excited to become compliant and stay compliant, but they kind of have to. And then, you know, and then the question you're asking is like, well, and under what circumstances would the sort of, um, like, they will be able to flip this and, and start kind of getting some cuts from the value that's being created. And then what should the um, open banking platform of the future, how it should react to that change? Well, if I'm thinking about like how. You know what are the circumstances which the banks would start charging for open banking data the first thing that actually comes to my mind is well now that you know that access to current account data is, is free but there's value and in, 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 inside of that data the first thing to do would be to start offering more data sets on top and sell those and we've seen some banks actually proactively talk about it and and um, some are doing something in this field already that they're providing you know if, if access to, to current account data is free then stuff like access to investment data or or access to identity data is that paid service that's available and so is that and, something um, you
0: see yourself aligning with and saying hey big european bank we can work with you to then monetize on that
1: yeah well our insight in this front is actually that unless what makes open banking in Europe great is that like this thing is works across Europe and you know what to expect in every single country. And you know that whatever happens, you'll be able to get these four data points coming from a bank's API. And some banks are going to give you more data points, but then there will be at least four data points that you can rely upon. And, and these are data points that are, are like access to a current account. So that is kind of fun. That is what makes it so great. Uh, that you planning to build an IPFM or like a you know BNPL solution, or something that helps people to switch from whatever services they're using today. Like you can trust trust that in you'll be able to get some certain data points in, in, at any point in time from all these all these entities. The problem with these services on top uh, that is that if you're a fintech, you kind of want all banks to offer a certain data point. And then at least unless they do you're not interested to use that joint data point so let's say Barclay's launched a great data point that's kind of paid and it's like actually amazing it gives like lots of value and the fact that Barclays alone provides it in u k doesn't really change the fact that you know they it, it's it's still mostly unavailable and so and, yeah. and kind of unless all the banks offer that same data point then then that's it, it makes the data points not usable because you don't want to you don't want to reject a samples, portion of right. it yeah exactly and so that's why the initiatives whenever a bank independently wants to launch an, an initiative like that it, it's very hard for it to get traction or the market that it reaches is low comparing to what it could be if all the banks in the certain country did it so it kind of has to be a, a coordinated uh, effort and, and then for banks to sit together and, and you know coordinate between themselves that they'll be launching a data point at some point in time and, and all agree on this and, and it's hard.
0: Unlikely. Um,
1: <laughs> and so like the, you know th- that might be a scenario in which maybe we'll see paid open banking. Another scenario is that banks actually come back and say, look, like the, the cost that you've put on us and to build this thing is too high and it's it's not worth the effort. And by the way, look at open banking adoption, it's kind of low and, and there's some neo banks that have already been, you know, uh, using this angle, as and and then may, maybe kind of like what we go back to is the an, an era where it becomes expensive again to use this data, and then I think that kind of completely cancels out all of the effects that we've been seeing about you know how do you build um, sustainable competition to the retail banks because like open banking, the point of open banking is that it it is challenging the incumbents and in creating more competition in the markets. And, and, and so if we let banks to, to sell data going forward, it'd be probably back to someone building screen scraping APIs. And that I think, you know, the fact that this, there is this fallback option of, of someone building a screen scraping API, that I think is what is keeping the regulators excited to be pushing against these banks, mm. to be telling them that, well, you kind of have to bear this cost, I'm sorry. But I think,
0: you know, maybe we'll start to see more and more move into this infrastructure play. Okay, we've lost our ring fence around our customer data to a certain extent. What else can I do as a bank to monetize on my infrastructure the same way other people are now monetizing on my infrastructure? And I think we've seen the likes of like Starling do that, right, with their banking as a service approach now going out around Europe, around the world. But just to zoom out a little bit, because I think probably you and I can both get caught in the weeds. You're quite active around Europe, right? What what was your kind of approach to that scale and that scope of bank account connections? Because obviously PSD2 has come in to mandate kind of some standards there, but from firsthand experience, we're, we're still not getting kind of the exact same across the board. And maybe that's in the actual kind of raw data that comes out or how certain Connections are made the timelines associated with those we're seeing the big banks get faster and faster but what was was it a kind of we need as many as possible as fast as possible or is a you know let's get the big ones done first and then take it from there or-
1: yeah great question so one insight that we had by, by studying the rise and the evolution of open banking is that coverage is one of the critical points of offering open banking connectivity again so you're connecting to you know cma8 instead of cma9 then yeah. your platform is not entirely usable because you're you're leaving out a, a pretty substantial amount of, of people who could be sure. using a fintech app and the fintech then does, does not want to use a platform that just uh, you know we we accept everyone except for someone that has a buckles account and, and so that's kind of yeah, there was our insight. And so like building great coverage as fast as possible was really what we're trying to achieve. And we kind of went ahead and started building integrations in country by country, assuming that it's not going to be easy or that there will be We'll find some, you know, it's kind of like digging, like archaeology. You dig, 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 and then you find some artifacts, and and then you kind of have to figure out how do you kind of go further from there. So that sure. that was the mindset of what we had when we were going at it, and that allowed us to be just very quick, and and that allowed us to to stay nimble. And instead of trying to kind of um, start with a subset of banks and and stick to it and and not do anything else before you kind of um, finish these banks, we actually decided that some. Um, well, um, maybe it's okay to to just go faster in some countries, and and then and then kind of like put them on pause if something happens, and then come back to them later on. And so that allowed us to just stay nimble. And but like I, I don't think that that's kind of unique to us. So I, I I do believe that this is this is exactly how everyone in, in in you know when you kind of think about it, it's like a very sort of organic way to think about development in in, in general. So I don't think we did you know we we were very fast and kind of how we went from zero bank connection to 2,000, but I, I don't think that we did anything that was absolutely unique to comparing to these other open bank platforms. It's just that we were like very focused, I suppose, and diligent.
0: Lots of data coming through then, 2,000 bank connections. That's, you know, I don't know if you're allowed to disclose how many consumers that really is or is that something you don't want to talk about that's okay yeah not yet um yeah uh, (laughs) yeah yeah, um, fair enough yeah it's a a uh, sensitive topic right data so you know and, and what you do with those data and you're obviously building these insight layers on top of that have you had any pushback from banks or from kind of clients as to what you will do with that or is this just about transparency across the board kind of what's your approach to this ethical kind of conversation surrounding consumers' data in terms of monetization, in terms of who you send that to, who you share it and how you share it? What's your What's your approach been and and how has that differed kind of as you've moved around Europe?
1: So one thing that I think is brilliant with open banking in Europe is that open banking came into force the same time that GDPR came into force. Yeah. And so that I think is, amazing and 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 then the fact that GDPR actually came fast and and people kind of like got scared and they were like okay so you know we should be privacy minded and that was like everyone not just businesses but also consumers because like consumers actually realized that data privacy laws have been around forever what GDPR like literally did was take many of the same laws that existed and put it like a a price tag onto the fact that if you do something often then you know that's the that's the fee that you have to pay in terms of a data breach and so But like that, the the existence of that fee made a lot of things like just made everyone just focused on transparency. And then, and and also banking, what I think is is brilliant is that it's kind of like, it's all about what consumers sort of say that you can do with the data. And then, and it's all consent based. And then those things are kind of like tied together. So that, you know, for us kind of, it made the job. Frankly, pretty easy because we are are obliged to uh, tell the consumers what we do with the data, and we're obliged to get the consent before we connect to a to their bank account. And also, we're obliged by GDPR to to work with our customers, the fintechs, and tell them exactly how we do, what kind of methods we use for data processing. Uh, like those things, literally made it very very easy that you actually there's like this. It's, it has to be fully transparent. And another thing about the financial services space is that this this um, end of the day it's like a trust business so we're we're building relationships with each, with each other you know among the businesses among consumers and you have to be really transparent and mm-hmm. and just compliance is not good enough anymore you have to be really transparent and this is why you see so many large payments companies investing in so much in their brand because you have to you show have to not just um do things but you actually have to show everyone how many good things you've done and how trustworthy you are and so that's why you know there's there's financial services companies that are so well recognized uh and they advertise uh a lot on the tv there's like set layers and layers and layers of things you have to do in order to build this trust so yeah coming back to your question it was kind of probably significantly easier for us than it was for anyone. You know trunk build open banking in the early days of open banking in the year 2000 when you have to kind of invent and 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 also you know because we use only real psd2 data apis and and we do not store end user credentials like that, that does, like that makes so many things much more easier for us we don't have to convince someone to give us their access to their bank accounts as it was you know 20 years ago sure i mean even today,
0: right? That's still happening. Whether or not it's in and around Europe, it's, it's still happening. And that kind of blows my mind a little bit. Um, I don't know about you. We've had so many kind of investor conversations where, or client conversations where it's, you know, what about GDPR? How is that going to impact your business? I know how it fully resonate with, with your kind of perspective there, which is, it's actually a really good thing. It's helped us be very clear in how we communicate what we do with your data, how we're going to send it to to various parties and for, you know, why we're doing that. But appreciative of time, so just wanted to kind of get some like quick fire, high level answers off you. First one being, does it matter whether or not individuals know what open banking is, like on a consumer level?
1: It doesn't, it doesn't matter how card payments networks pipes work as long as you can make a payment to the counter it doesn't really matter you know what kind of what what iso 27001 means for a consumer as long as you know that the bank you're banking with is, is secure um, yeah. so it absolutely doesn't what i think matters is that people understand how it works and that there's companies that they trust those become the standards and then that like you know, and everything else kind of is up to the markets to regulate. So I'd agree on the trust element,
0: but in terms of the, the like how it works, right? Like, questions more geared around, you know, doesn't matter what we've seen. I guess throughout the the course of a number of like conferences, especially in over over the last like six months, various TPPs and banking infrastructure, or even banks saying, well. Although X percent are actually using open banking tools, only 20, 30% of customers actually know what open banking is. For me, the big question is like, who cares? As long as they're getting value. So like, to your point, I agree around the trust, but not necessarily around the understanding how it works because, you know, but yes, to keep the ball rolling. So throughout our series, we're talking to regulators, third parties, you know, technical service providers, fintechs, banks. Challengers, et etc, and they 've all got different perspectives on what kind of gets them up in the morning, what gets them excited what 's the kind of number one thing, not necessarily you know specifically open banking but around in and around fintech what's the kind of number one thing that 's getting you so excited at the moment?
1: Yeah, MasterCard announced last year that open banking adoption in u s is eighty percent, so like eighty percent of Americans have used open banking. And then when we did like back of an envelope calculation in Europe, our best guess is that it's kind of like five to 7% adoption rate across European citizens. And, and so what gets me excited is that we get to be part of this, this movement that takes it from the five to 7% that where we are today to the 80% that it could be. So that I think is the most exciting bit.
0: So you've got access to all of this data, you got. A massively exciting opportunity you've got this kind of intelligence layer from a you know personal perspective who's doing it best like who's using your data or who are you seeing out there don't say app tap because it's obviously the answer but like who in your opinion is using data in the most kind of like intelligent manner who's, who's building some cool stuff out there maybe I can so speak to
1: yeah like what i think is there's two industries that are Doing a great job today, and there's something that I think is going to be huge in, in the future. the two industries that are pretty big today on, on open banking is is lending because like open banking data is a great way to understand creditworthiness without having to use credit bureau data which frankly is super limited mm-hmm. and especially for people that move across countries a lot then they're, they 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 barely have any credit history their credit history, his, credit history is the thin file in all the countries where they've yeah. lived i'm um, so that's one thing. The second thing is cash flow management, and that's both for businesses as well as for people. And and that has been always big on open banking. That was like the original use case back in yeah. the, the days of, of Yodli and, and the MX. and yeah. Exactly. And and that's still a strong today. And and like frankly, there's so much to do. Like the, the what what we're all trying to do is trying to kill bank statements and so as a business owner it sucks to send bank statements to your accountants on a monthly basis as a um, human being it sucks to just look into your bank statements and and then realize you hardly recognize the transactions that you've consciously made and so like that there's lots of things still to do but those are the things that have been you know around for like a Decade or so. What I think is is interesting is something that we don't see a lot just yet, but I think we're going to see a lot more. We've had card link marketing schemes for for a really long time. So when you pay at a counter, the shop kind of uh, can link your cards to your purchase history at that shop and and learn something about your patterns. And and that thing has been pretty expensive as a technology so far. And so, like, card link marketing schemes and, and loyalty schemes in general have been very expensive. Only like very rich shops could have afford those things. And then open banking is kind of like a, a great way to allow people to link their bank accounts to loyalty um, schemes cheaply. And it works across all of Europe and UK and you get the same Sort of data, the same for data points across mm. all those different banks, and then it hasn't been used today because it will take a while for consumers to get used to to linking their, their bank accounts to anything. But then I think that is potentially in a very exciting use case going forward. If we can figure out how, as as a community, if we can figure out how to, to build it in a way that consumers are not oversharing their information. So that I think is kind of pretty exciting going forward. But like, then again, one of the things that excites me mo- the most about this is that, well, you can never know which of those use cases will be big. Just like Google Maps never knew that Uber will be such a big user of Google Maps, and 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 so like this this is kind of what you know keeps me excited to do this. One is that there's like a massive opportunity to, to take the adoption rate from seven percent to eighty potentially. The other is that if one of those fintech startups how we're get are, there. yeah, yeah, how are we gonna get there exactly? Yeah, and so that's kind of like a great mystery that we're kind of like we'll be we'll you know we're we're building the infrastructure, but then someone else is gonna take it there, and the best thing we can do is just like kind of be there for them. <laughs> whoever they are
0: help on it yeah so that leads me quite nicely into next and penultimate question which is kind of what comes next for Nordic and what comes next for you you've talked quite passionately throughout about like lending especially and how the insights layer plays into that what's what's up next
1: yeah so the first thing to do is coming back to our original insights that's bank coverage is a critical component to all of this. Like we're, you know, we've done 2.2 thousand bank integrations so far, but there's like 6,000 banks in Europe plus a few thousand wallets that also are regulated under PSD2. We Mm -hmm. will, you know, we need to get all of them integrated and that's going to be a hell of a lot of work. Uh, so that's something we need to do and and then secondly we need to just continue educating the fintechs and allow them to play with the api and allow them to kind of build something and 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 to help them to do these tests for for us allow them to build these tests but also allow them to do them those tests rapidly uh, and that means that uh, the service has to be absolutely inclusive. And that's something we're continuously working on, like which of bits kind of we build ourselves, which bits we help people to build, which bit, bits we kind of uh, allow you know people to build on their own time and, and just trying to figure out how to make it work so that a fintech startup can come in and, and they can, you know, they have an idea, they can test it out quickly. And if it yeah. works, that's great. And if it doesn't, they haven't spent all their budget and, and they can, you know, continue iterating on that idea going forward. So that's kind of, I think the next iteration phase that we're working on.
0: Cool. Puts you in quite a powerful position to start kind of connecting some dots as well, which is really cool. Last one. You had to choose just one word or
1: the other. Open banking, success or failure so far? Oh, success. 100%. 100%. The right answer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Great. Well, Rollins, thank you so much for joining me. It's been uh, really insightful, really interesting. I've got like, my brain is like slowly getting bigger. I can feel it just speaking to you. Where can people find you? Where can people find Nordigan?
1: Yeah. So people can find Nordigan by going to nordigan.com or just typing in Nordigan in Google. We're typically pretty high up on that keyword. And uh, yeah, or or you can connect with me on LinkedIn. I, I typically, I'm more than happy to talk with anyone who could connect with me about all topics of open banking.
0: Perfect. Well... This is us for this episode of Fintech Walkabout. Rollins, thank you again. And tune in throughout the course of the next few months, really, for more and more interesting individuals and companies joining us. Thank you.